You hit that guy. He shouldn't have been standing. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, I'll ask him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. Uh, he's already got one, you see? And welcome back once again to Gag Reel, the internet's most unnecessary and awkward podcast about comedy movies and television shows just for you to enjoy. Um, I am Ryan, your host as always, and joined once again by Will, my number two. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing fine. Doing absolutely fine. It's been a long two weeks since our last episode on Midnight Run, but we we decided to go more modern again. It's been a little while since we did a recent movie. Um, well, recent-ish now. This is a 12-year-old movie at this point. We, we, we decided to take a crack at a genre that doesn't have that many, you know, golden nuggets in it. The stoner comedy subgenre. Yeah, there's a lot of duds. Yeah, yeah. This is this is something that was sparked in the '70s by Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke, um, and they're kind of you know they made a whole series of films uh, out of this kind of shtick. And I know they done they did records before they started their films, but this idea of really like kind of adopting stoner culture and these caricatures of people that you know smoke too much marijuana and just draw comedy out of that and there's been uh, you know a few great ones over the years but i feel like mainly a lot of bad ones uh i i really love half baked got some really hysterical moments in that movie but i when uh when pineapple express came out there yes that that is the movie we're doing did we announce it I thought I already said Pineapple Express. We're doing Pineapple Express. If, if we not, didn't say it, if we did, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, but what I was getting at is, um, 2008. This came out, and I feel like around this time, it it had just gotten to like an, an even more kind of cartoonish level with these stoner comedies. Like the... How High came out in the early 2000s, um, and that was a big one. Harold, uh, Harold and, Kumar. and Kumar, they were pretty and much the, the biggest. And those are funny movies, but they're just this really broad level of comedy. And they're not super character focused. I mean, they do kind of have their own character arcs in Harold and Kumar. That might be the closest we got to a genuinely like heartfelt stoner comedy. Yeah, but that, that one, it was almost more about upending uh, stereotypes of different cultures than it was about being stoners, honestly. Like just when it comes to the overall themes and the... Mm -hmm. ongoing jokes that was pretty much what the main overriding joke was was hey this this chinese guy is not like all the other you know like uh, or the you know like this indian guy isn't a doctor like you know like all this stuff yeah there was a lot of heart in it but comedically a lot of just kind of very broad typical jokes like yeah there's a moment with women like you know in the restroom doing stuff like that yeah yeah but today we're talking about the 2008 action crime comedy Pineapple Express that I feel like has its flaws, but I feel like is one of the most original comedies in this subgenre, and I still feel like holds up to this day. So I guess without further ado and prelude, we will get into it. Huzzah! Come on up. I witnessed a murder. What? I saw you. Did they follow you here? Let's get out of here. Get the snacks, food, gorillas. We are going to hunt these guys down. Dale, Saul, we're going to kill them all. This is so exciting. Whoa, whoa. Come on. No. I think we should stay. Why? Because I'm in the dumpster already. I fly like people get high like planes. If you catch me at the border, I got visas in my name. If you come We're coming at you with everything we got. You are dead. <laughs> This is the dinner you invited me to. That's why I'm here. Are you high? What? No, I'm not high. You are high as a kite. Talk life. All right. So I guess uh, jumping into this, um, it's been 12 years since this came out, Will. Uh, what, what, what do you think about it now, 12 years later? I think it's kind of crazy to think that it's been 12 years. Um. But but yeah, it came out um, 
around a time when it seemed like there was just uh, every year there was a handful of these Apatow produced comedies. And this one was uh, pretty big on the list because I don't know, uh, they just had a lot of buzz around it from my circles. Everybody was kind of talking about it based on the trailers for months before it actually came out. And, uh, but, um, when it did, it did not disappoint. I enjoyed it then, and I've seen it multiple times since then, and I rewatched it a couple times for this episode today. I think it's still just as funny as it always was. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I try nowadays not to rewatch stuff too often, that, but this came out when I was in high school, and so naturally I've seen it many, many times because at that time we would just rewatch movies over and over that me and my friends thought were funny. Um, but taking a few years off from it, I do see some of the flaws in it now, especially in its action, and, and towards the end, uh, I feel like the, the ending act... Um, leans really too hard in in the crime aspect, in the action aspects, uh, and, and between a lot of characters that you don't really have as much empathy for, or really care for, or find that funny even. Like uh, you mentioned, Gary Cole, his character, you know, I, I'm curious about. Like I want to see, you know, where he's going, but I don't really care about him as much to be super dramatically involved in him being on screen. Same with Rosie Perez's character. Yeah, so so that kind of uh, the the ending action sequence slowed it down a lot for me, uh, and, and it's a good twenty minute chunk or so of the film. But it does such a perfect job of capping all that with this amazing epilogue uh, between you know Dale and, and Saul and Red that really kind of like uh, amplifies and. I guess bookends what I consider the best scene of the movie, especially now on this rewatch, which would be uh, them, you know, meeting Red and the the long fight that happens after that. Um, but yeah, I, I think for, on the for the most part, pretty great comedy uh, and and pretty consistent, and almost every one of its scenes escalates in a great and hilarious way. I I, I, I give the third act a little more credit. Because it was an action stoner comedy movie. They had to make sure that the end scene had action in it. And I think there was still some really hilarious dynamics. I think Craig Ro- Craig Robinson's character was hilarious all the way up until Lanos. Yeah, Daewoo Lanos <laughs> runs him over, you know, like, and, and like it, it has its funny moments, even if there are some low points. I think um, they lo- they played a little too coy with the uh, the subtext between like what's going on with Gary Cole and Rosie Perez when they didn't really make it interesting enough to really have that kind of coy subtext. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. But and there um, were like there were funny jokes around the like Asian gang, but I didn't really care much about them enough for all these long shot sequences of them shooting up the place. No, I I, I agree. I, I think they were just trying to you know like give it a big action-y send-off, and I, I, I'll i give it that. It's, it's not fantastic when it comes to, you know, like, keeping up the funny, but, yeah, hey, they're making a stoner action comedy. They got to have a big explosive finale. They, they tickle in some funny stuff here and there, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I think the two other major action sequences, you know, like their fight with Red in his apartment, yes. as well as the... Uh, uh, the the car the car chase where he where Saul gets his foot stuck in the window. I windshield. Those are I think, very perfect sequences. Yes, in fact, I'll actually give this movie credit because a lot of action movies can't seem to make their car chases as thrilling as some of the other action sequences in a movie. Mm-hmm. I thought this did such a good job for making it both thrilling and hilarious at the same time, and that that's really hard to pull off, especially with a car chase. You know, like. But just the shot, like a, a, a wide shot from across the street of a police car riding down the road with a foot sticking out of the window. Yeah. Oh, mom! Fuck, I think I pulled my groin! It's just a really funny image. And I, I talked about escalation in scenes, and I think part of why that scene works so well, uh, and, and the same with the red scene, is just 
how much uh, of a like just shit situation it is and how much yeah. escalation there is in that scene. Typically, you know, you're you're talking about just a average action movie or an average uh buddy up action movie, which I would also consider this kind of a buddy up movie. We didn't mention that yet. Yeah, I, I was we, I was going to talk about that for a little bit, but um but yeah, that that driving scene, you know, you, you have this from uh, from Saul's boy no, from Dale's perspective, uh you know, he knew that this cop was going to help him. Yeah. And so now there's this miscommunication with him and Saul. He's frustrated with Saul. And meanwhile, he's cuffed in the back and can't even do anything. And it, it just, all these levels of escalation uh, yeah. that caps off with his foot being stuck in that window. Yeah. And uh, I, I heard Seth Rogen in an interview say that uh, out of all the screenings he's gone to for his films, that uh, there's never been something that uh the theater laughed at hysterically as as much as Saul shoving his foot through that car window and yeah. just that whole capstone for that sequence he said that out of everything he's ever made that's the funniest uh, or that that's the most people have laughed uh you you you, you mentioned the, the the buddy up aspect of it and it was interesting when I was rewatching it because I was kind of having just watched midnight run and uh, that uh, kind of had the concept of buddy comedies in mind. It, it kind of dawned on me that uh, now I'm not going to use this term because apparently in uh, uh, apparently Seth Rogen hates it to no end because every single uh, press junket has always, when interviewing him, brought this uh, the this word up when talking about his type of movies, and he hates the term to no end because they always seem like they always act as if they just came up with it, but it's a lot closer to what could be described as a bromance than a buddy comedy mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the, uh, the fact that formulaically a buddy comedy will have two people that don't get along stuck together for a long period of time. And eventually by the third act, they'll have, they eventually start to get along. His comedy is much more along the lines of a couple people get along at the start but then have a breakup sequence in the middle towards the end and then mm. and then it they come in stronger it 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 imitates a romantic comedy yeah, closer yeah. than it in, uh, imitates and, a buddy comedy and definitely i think super bad and this is the end follow that i think that you could argue more for this one cuz dale doesn't seem to really like Saul as a friend that much of the start no, of this film. But but like that 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 gets pushed aside up until the the third act right after the car mm-hmm. chase that then oh it's like you know what I never really liked you I never liked you at all. Yeah. Uh, that you know like they they have a breakup scene and then there's the hysterical moment where Saul is crying on the playground at that that, that, that girl is, is in the swimsuit just uh-huh. <laughs> the chain link fence it's like what is going on? I really like that shot, but yeah, that, I, 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 it definitely doesn't. I don't, I don't know if I want to use the term bromance. That is a really overused phrasing, but I do think that uh, their style of uh, buddy comedy is a lot different than the typical formula. Mm-hmm. BFFF, best fucking friends forever, man. Seriously, we talked about this one. We, I remember specifically when we talked about Adam Sandler movies way back then, the first few Adam Sandler movies, and I'm I'm sure we when we talked about Spinal Tap, uh, we mentioned this as well. But this is one of those comedies that's just kind of infinitely quotable, and even twelve yeah. years later, I'll be you know I work in a pretty social environment, a lot of people, and always hear people in the back room quoting from Pineapple Express, just like every little passaway line. Uh, mm-hmm is great like him smelling the weed nuggets and he's just like oh i want to you know just shove my nose and he's like oh, shove it anywhere you like <laughs> every or him throwing up and ah chicken fries, chicken fries. yeah <laughs> what, just, what, what so one of my favorite ones. lines is always just but uh with with saul just keeps walking around mumbling to himself i thought hurricane season was over <laughs> i love how they introduce him there with him eating the fondue yeah yeah, he's got a whole fondue set. Yeah, just like. But I, I guess, do you want to get into um, into kind of what what you dug up uh, in in the history of this movie, and uh, and maybe I'll add to it too. I I I read some stuff as well. Okay, Judd Apatow had um, 
This was uh, early 2000s. Judd Apatow had just done a table read with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg for their Superbad script and um, was really starting to have faith in them as writers. It should be noted that this is not an episode of the Gag Reel podcast on the film Superbad, but we should definitely do an episode on said film because it's a great one. I haven't seen it in ages. But um, yeah, Superbad will be mentioned quite a bit for the first part of this. Superbad was initially written by Rogan and Goldberg when they were in high school together. Uh, eventually, Seth Rogen got cast in Freaks and Geeks, where he met Judd Apatow, who saw a lot of comedic potential in him, and sort of brought him up from there as a performer, and um, he went ahead and went and cast him in his directorial debut, 40-Year-Old Virgin, a few years later. Then he even convinced Universal Studios that he was leading man potential for his second film, Knocked Up. While all of that was going on, Rogan had uh, showed Apatow their super bad script, and Apatow was very impressed by it and um, started working with them on rewriting it and developing it into a pitchable script. Um, he watched the script grow and develop from a uh, what he saw was a really hard R comedy that was very funny into a very hard R comedy that was very funny, but was also really sweet and showed a really deep connection between the two main characters. Meanwhile, he was really worried about the pitchability of the script for Superbad. He, was, he just didn't see a lot of uh, studio executives giving it the green light. Um, he thought the script was amazing, but he didn't think it was going to sell anywhere. So he wanted to put together some sort of a project for the two of them that was a bit more pitchable. It was then that he remembered his, uh, uh, his idea for what would eventually become Pineapple Express. So, going back in time, back in the 90s, Judd Apatow was watching the Tony Scott-directed film True Romance, and um, in it, Brad Pitt plays this uh, roommate who's just like this weird stoner-slash-crackhead character. Hi. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. You dick? No. Richie? No, he's not here right now. You live here? Yes, I do. His sort of uh, roommate? Exactly, roommate. Who just has like a couple minutes in it, but the, char- uh, but the character really stood out to Judd Apatow, and he started wishing that the mafia guys in the movie were chasing Brad Pitt's character and not Christian Slater. It was, And then he realized that uh, stoner movies never really have action in them. And then he thought, quote, what if you made an action movie where the people they were chasing were high... And that makes it harder to get away. And then it's kind of a bit of little bit of a morality tale of the only way these guys can realize that getting high ruins their lives is by trying to escape from murderers while high. After that, he thought about the process server job and how it would be a good job for the inciting incident to occur. So um, remembering that, he got Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg together to hash out um, specifics. Uh, and start working on the actual script. Uh, Seth and Evan began to put together the script with the goal in mind that it would be a script that could possibly get made while Superbad may just end up opening doors for them as a solid spec script. Uh, worst case scenario, both scripts handed uh, get handed in together and maybe get them some writing jobs on something else. However, um, Apatow did not realize that a pot action movie with no stars attached was way less commercial than Superbad. In fact, uh, whenever Rogan mentioned to people the concept of Pineapple Express, nobody seemed interested in it at all. They all just got confused. But um, most of the, the this process is a bit murky when it comes to the timeline. For the most part, the writing and rewriting process of both Superbad and Pineapple Express with Judd Apatow happened over the course of at least half a decade. So it was post Freaks and Geeks, and uh, both before and after 40-Year-Old Virgin. Eventually, Superbad did get greenlit. Pineapple Express was still a no-go. It wasn't until the dailies were coming in during the filming of Superbad that the executives at Sony saw the comedic potential of the writing duo, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, and finally greenlit Pineapple Express for production. The script for Pineapple Express went through several drafts and rewrites, as all great comedies or films in general tend to do. In the first few drafts, some things were drastically different. Um, Dale's love interest was initially someone his own age, 
who was significantly more responsible and had an important job, but they ended up changing that for the specific reason that it was too much like Shaun of the Dead. Huh. Um, Judd Apatow pitched them, was the one that pitched them that Dale was dating a senior in high school because he both didn't think he'd ever seen that in a comedy, as well as he was worried that Rogan and Goldberg didn't think his comedic ideas were ballsy enough. Hmm. But uh, they really liked the idea because when they were in high school, they remembered all these girls that would date guys in their 20s because they thought that made them seem more mature. But in reality, the older guys were just immature or losers. Yeah. And, I mean, it's um, realistic. But yeah. But did, like this viewing, it did make me a little uncomfortable thinking about yeah. that difference. Uh, also, in early drafts, the relationship between Dale and Saul wasn't really hammered out. Um, until an uh, Upright Citizens Brigade alum, uh, Ian Roberts, came on to uh, help out with the script and kind of helped them flesh out the dynamic, telling them to play up the aspect of Saul really wanting to hang out with Dale, but Dale not wanting to. So they added lines like Saul asking Dale about euthanasia and other (laughs) stuff to both creep Dale out, but also insinuate that Saul feels bizarrely close to Dale. The structure of the film with extremely long scenes filled with mostly improvised dialogue was intentional because they could only afford to film three major action sequences. And so they had to fill the time with a lot of other just regular comedy. That's interesting. Yeah. Those, I mean, I, we talked about how well, like a lot of those action sequences work, but, um, I think what makes the movie is those the the improv improvisational dialogue. Oh yeah, but uh, the character Saul was uh, always intended for Seth Rogen to play, but um, once James Franco came on board and he read the script, he kind of got jealous that Seth Rogen got all the funny lines. So they talked and switched, and and Seth Rogen agreed to switch roles because uh, Seth Rogen didn't really care. And also thought it might make the dynamic a bit more interesting and unique. If uh, the one who, you know, like, I don't, I don't know, Seth Rogen still hadn't really seen himself as a, as a leading, a leading role type of person. Um, but um, when they uh, got around to filming, uh, Danny McBride recommended the director, da- David Gordon Green, to them, having gone to uh, film school with him at the University of North Carolina School of Arts. And they hired him after watching one short film he made in college. They didn't even watch his uh, directorial feature films. Uh, he had he had done two dramas before this. This was his first uh, comedy film. Speaking of Danny McBride, his entire look as Red was David Gordon Green's way of enacting revenge. In college, McBride had made him appear completely nude in one of his student films. So for Pineapple Express, he had Danny McBride shave his armpits and his sideburns. <laughs> and as uh, McBride puts it, made him look like the biggest little boy. <laughs> um, apparently on set, sometimes Rogan would just look over at Danny McBride's haircut and start laughing. Just, and like just all Danny McBride had to do was stand there and Seth Rogan would just start cracking up. Everything to do with that character and his house and just everything around him is just so perfect and hilarious. Yeah. There's like just an abandoned like fish tank in his living room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just... The, the set design is hilarious in that, in that, the whole house. A few little bits of trivia now. Um, trying to get a motherfucking scholarship is, uh, is a reference to The Breakfast Club to people who didn't know that. Out! It's over! Don't you want to hear my excuse? Out! Thinking of trying out for a scholarship. He just added the word motherfucking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were two separate caterpillar wranglers for the sequence where Saul blows smoke on the caterpillar. Mm-hmm. The first wrangler told them that they weren't allowed to blow smoke on the caterpillar, so they, they just hired a more lenient wrangler. Mm. Um, the cake for Red's dead cat was improvised in rehearsal. So they went out and bought the cake and icing for filming just so the camera could pan down and prove that it was a completely planned out random thing, according to Seth Rogen. He, he, he really he wanted to prove to the world that this completely random line was planned out. It, it's a great line. 
Yeah. And, and in fact, uh, nearly everything spoken by Danny McBride in the movie was improvised. Like I, I, he stuck to the script for like three, three words, I think is what they said <laughs> in the, uh, the commentary. Yeah. Apparently um, he was supposed to die when, when they shoot him that first time yeah, and they, they just, just decided like, no, he's too funny. Let's just bring him back yeah, over let's and keep over bringing again. Him back. Yeah. <laughs> he crawls out of the exploding barn. Uh, he does that awkward little like wave at them and it, it just it, it's such yeah. a perfect ending mainly because of him yeah and it wasn't until halfway through filming that they came up with the closing diner scene which made the movie yeah but yeah they didn't they didn't know how to end the movie until halfway through filming it, and then it just dawned on them like what if we just had them in a diner talking about everything that had just occurred <laughs> and I, um and they had yeah this is the perfect ending I read a few little fun facts uh, a few years ago for its 10th anniversary. Seth Rogen uh, did a kind of Twitter thread where, where he said a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, some of the more interesting things he said um, was that him and Effin Goldberg were basically the prop designers of the cross joints. Like yes. they, they tried to like explain like, and, and no one else really knew how to do it or what to do. So they ended up, he said they rolled about a hundred of them, which is wild to me. Yeah. I um, guess they had to do a lot of takes of them lighting him. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm assuming. Uh, also, you know, um, Saul slash, you know, uh, James Franco has a headband for a good chunk of the end of the film because mm -hmm. in the movie he like bumps his head against a, ro uh, a tree trunk, I think. Uh, apparently in real life, like during the shooting, he had like, smacked his head against a screw and so he had the uh, this big kind of stitches on his forehead and so they used the headband to cover up those stitches yeah i heard kind of conflicting things about the saul versus dale kind of casting swap like uh, you mentioned that um they they were originally writing um seth rogan to be the the high you know the stoner weed dealer character yeah. Uh and they they decided I think that was, to switch. Yeah. That uh, was just he had always envisioned himself in that role. Yeah, yeah. Uh I I heard that from one thing that uh it was Judd Apatow's idea for them to swap and I heard it from another thing that it was James Franco's idea for them to swap. I I was there were they they did a on the uh I ended up spending $4 on the the Blu-ray of this movie and it was in the making of little 20 minute documentary that James Franco said that he was the one that wanted to play Saul. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, like it's entirely possible that it would, I mean, from what it sounded like he brought it up and then everybody kind of came together and started talking about it. So it's possible that like everybody thought that they kind of came up with the idea. Yeah. I don't know. Also, uh, last one, apparently, you know, when Seth Rogen vomits into that printer, he was really hung over that day and he actually did vomit. Oh, I don't wow. know if it was actually chicken fries, though. So the jury's out on that. That was interesting in the commentary because uh, that was one of the uh, he, he kept amusing. Every, he kept bringing up chicken fries when they were talking because he was just <laughs> like, that's a line nobody's going to hear in the theater. And then they're just going to be surprised years later. They're going to hear chicken fries. That's exactly but, what happened to me. Yeah. What was it? Uh, another weird little bit of trivia. Ed Begley Jr. called Jeff Goldblum to make sure that Jeff Goldblum was not offended by the Jeff Goldblum line in the high school scene. That's hilarious. Because they're like best buds, and he uh, he had to like call Jeff Goldblum and make sure that you know th these guys love you. Like there's there's they're not making fun of you. He wouldn't get his feelings hurt when when James Franco says "fuck Jeff Goldblum." Yeah. yeah, he's like they don't mean it when they say it. Speaking of which, speaking of Ed Begley Jr., this is probably the most curmudgeonly I've ever seen him in a role. It is pretty funny to see him be an asshole. Yeah, he's always the friendly old man. Come on, Saul, come on, come on, come on, yes, yes, we made it, we're all safe, guys, we made it. What are you doing? Get the fuck out of my car, I can't even believe you think that would be an option. Okay, okay, no, that makes sense, it makes sense, come on, let's go, it makes sense. Uh, I forgot who it was that, I forgot, they were, they were all talking about the, the line that he said when he had the gun, like, I'm gonna uh, pull you out and uh, fuck you in the street. Uh-huh, he's like, but, uh, um, don't fuck us anywhere. 
Yeah, but apparently, like uh, that that was an actual line that uh, I can't remember if it was Seth or Judd that had heard, and it was like both terrifying and uh, bizarre and kind of funny that like they just they had to write it down. <laughs> Is that that about all the background? Uh, little bits in there, yeah, for the most part. Um, the production crew's pretty much unanimous agreement. Their fun, their their favorite sequence was uh, the car battery being dead. You know, and him trying to explain dumb with it. the woods, and then his facial expression when he's trying to comprehend, like, what do you mean dead? What was I gonna say uh, it's something that um, I didn't really notice until this time around um, was how much kind of DNA of. Uh, of like kind of specific crime movies is in this. It feels the the setup feels very Coen Brothers to me nowadays, and so much of the characterization feels very Tarantino too. Like, I feel like Craig Robinson, and uh, yeah, I'm blanking on um, Kevin Corrigan. Yes, uh, uh, Matheson and Budlovsky. I, I feel like those characters are very much kind of like directly in the vein of. Uh, of the duo from Pulp Fiction with Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta kind of vibe. But they bring so much of a unique vibe oh, yeah. to it oh, at yeah. the same time that it's probably my favorite hitman duo I've seen in any movie. Mm-hmm. It's so strange. And, and, uh, and like Craig Robinson's character, like trying to like suck up to Ted over the phone is probably one of my favorite scenes. It's just when he's just yelling <laughs> through the phone, like, you know, like, and Matheson. They're not here, Ted. <laughs> and then probably my favorite, one of my favorite things of the movie, like one of my favorite bizarre just cutaway things is when he sticks his hands in the food. And the mashed potatoes. And yeah. he's like, still warm. Food's still warm. And it's like, what are you doing? Man? Interesting decisions. But yeah, very yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. Apparently they all, uh, the director was, would really liked working with Craig Robinson because he would just call out like random ways of saying lines and Craig Robinson would just do it that way. <laughs> it's just like, say it, say it like you're angry. He would just, you know, like you shot me. Say it, say it like, you know, like this or that. And he would just, he would just, he just did it for hours and hours, just different inflections and stuff. I, I liked, uh, Saul's grandma. It, it- it's, uh, what's it called? Describing the two of them. What, what did they look like? Well, one of them they was tall. very tall yeah, and sloppy. And they wore black and, clothes. And, and the other guy, you couldn't he see was very face. good really looking, but he was face. short as shit. I thought that was amusing. Yeah. Yeah, the David Gordon Green thing uh, is interesting. Um, and like you said, he, he had a few dramatic films and a few short films. And he had gone to school with... Uh, What's his name? Jody, um, Jody Hill with, and Danny McBride. Yeah, with Jody Hill and Danny McBride. Uh, but yeah, definitely he he was a dramatic director at, at this mm-hmm. point and known for more artistic takes. And I, I've heard um, Seth Rogen say specifically that that's kind of why they picked him was because they didn't want someone who had made like broad comedy before. That they they said they were trying to kind of distance themselves with where comedy was at at the time yeah uh, the the kind of reigning kings of comedy at the time where the uh the frat pack as, as they called them with ben stiller and vince vaughn and uh owen wilson and just kind of the films surrounding them and that that style of comedy which i i love equally i i don't put one or the other uh, over the yeah. other but it was just uh it did kind of make for this this more heartfelt it as funny and weird as that is this this heartfelt kind of spin on, on this drug and crime story what's interesting is i almost i don't know how directly involved they were now now that you mentioned that and now that i'm thinking about it um i don't think it was directly pineapple express that forced everyone to up their game mm-hmm. but comedies that came out by most of the quote unquote frat pack people after that looked drastically different. Mm. I mean, like if you, I'm thinking of like the stuff that came out before that, you know, like you had a lot of the Todd Phillips films and the, uh, Adam McKay stuff. Like I'm just thinking Step Brothers versus Adam McKay's previous stuff. Yeah, that's true. It's, and then Todd Phillips, the hangover movies versus like Starsky and Hutch. Uh huh. 
looks uh, like Starsky and Hutch looks like a straight up, you know, comedy comedy. The Hangover, I mean, say what you will about the movie, but it looks like a like a it looks different than a typical comedy. Yeah, and, and some of those sequences were a little bit more out there than uh some of the than a lot of the sequences in, in old school or or his previous films. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, so it's I, an I don't know if point. Was... I think Judd Apatow just in general like the movies he produced kind of you know, changed a little bit of the comedy landscape at the time. Just yeah. especially with how big of a dominance it was for those few years. There there was quite a few of these films and <laughs> they were killing it every every time they put one it out. It was crazy. The yeah, 2000s were pre- one of the best comedy decades out there uh, i mean the 80s was great the 90s kind of had a low point there was some really great comedies in the 90s but it was there was still like several years i mean there's not a huge lineup and then the 2000s came out and it's like all these great comedy comedic people just started coming out of the woodwork all at once mm-hmm. it was a good decade for for funny movies yeah, and I, I don't know how much of it's just me looking back through rose-tinted glasses because I was kind of at that that age where I was like going to the theaters really often with friends. And may, maybe I have a skewed perce- perception uh, of this time period. But yeah, I do look back really fondly uh, when Apatow was putting out movies uh, with his kind of magic on it like multiple times a year. But I guess that leads us into the uh, the grand question that we we ask every time here on the gag reel. How has this movie aged o- over these past 12 years? Like how would it be pe- perceived nowadays uh, if if it dropped on the streaming services given that, you know, theaters kind of closed right now. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's 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 for sure. Um <laughs> when you said it would just drop onto streaming i just i imagined it being like a popping up as a trailer on netflix and i was like would this be the hit that it was or would it be one of those that's just like it got some good reviews on some websites says check it out Mm -hmm. and then it's just immediately forgotten like a lot of these movies that are popping out every other day kind of get treated i i think it would stand out like just with its filmmaking and with the kind of emotional connection between these characters but like putting that aside just looking at like kind of like we usually do the the ethic kind of thing well yeah i don't know how does it hold up if people would really want to root for a character that's like 25 26 and is dating 17 18 year old girl in this day and age i don't know i I might be thinking about that too much what what else I, i guess this does kind of fall back in the line of kind of most comedy films especially comedy films of kind of yesteryear in that it's very male dominated in, in its perspective um and it is a bromance like you said uh it, even if you don't like that term I, I think it is a good way to describe the film and i think by looking at it through that lens it does make it a little bit more uh okay given i don't, I don't know because it's like these people's emotions tied with their perspective rather than it just being a male dominated perspective yeah i I don't i don't know i'm kind of ranting here what do you think (laughs) i i agree for the most part um it doesn't go really hard in trying to be a beacon of uh progress it's just trying to be as funny as possible yeah um and for the most part the humor doesn't really punch down yeah, yeah, I think comparing it to Superbad, which is really trying to give you like a high schooler's perspective and gives you a lot of that kind of uh, just blatantly kind of homophobic language that, you know, male high schoolers often use to each other. I don't think it ages. I've been nervous about rewatching Superbad because of stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it ages as well as this. Uh, um, I mean, that is it is an accurate depiction of how high schoolers, at least at the time I went to high school, talk. But yeah. um, as an adult looking at that and that kind of language, and I think there's a little bit of that in this, but not much. Like, like the the whole like gag of them using the belt buckle and it's supposed to be funny because it looks like they're like humping on each other. Yeah. It's a little dated, and maybe it's just I've kind of grown out of that kind of joke. But it's not, like, offensive, and it isn't, like, you know, like you said, punching down at anyone. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of, eh. 
it's not one of the biggest I, I even then I, I didn't find it to be one of the most hilarious moments it is it it's funny to me in just like a filmmaking perspective because they definitely don't point out that belt buckle through the whole movie but then suddenly yeah. you really notice this giant prominent celtic belt buckle yeah but uh yeah yeah i'd say it 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 holds up as a you know it it with through a modern lens it holds up but i do wonder if given that in a lot of states now that you know weed is legal like do does this kind of culture film still like d- does it still appeal to people yeah the concept of yeah dealing with drug lords and i always thought it i, I think it could still work because of how hyper exaggerated it was even then mm-hmm. like the fact that there's anybody trying to sell weed with like you know all this these good this guns and stuff and weren't trying to you know it wasn't like a cartel of like harder drugs it was just weed yeah just seemed so absurd even in the 2000s now that it's legal it's uh like impot it's definitely not the case i don't know yeah and it's it, kind of just like uh it's just weed and it starts even with that kind of uh almost like meta throwback sequence um that, that cold open with bill Hader in black and white that really feels like kind of a reefer madness kind of propaganda thing yeah that was um inspired by the documentary the black and white documentary called grass that's narrated by uh woody harrelson ah okay but yeah it, it, it even starts with that kind of like you know the perspective of like you know it's silly that this stuff is illegal and it, it's silly like how blown out of proportion the world is against this stuff yeah. but i just i just great performance by bill Hader. oh yeah definitely way. okay private miller you've been smoking item nine for seven minutes and 13 seconds we're going to ask you several questions how do you feel uh, well sir uh i feel like a like a slice of butter melting on top of the Big old pile of flapjacks. Yeah. This is like Bill Hader right when he was starting to blow up. Yeah. And, and by uh, the second Lord Raiden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. Uh, Daddy Dexter. Yeah, he did the, he did the dead, the Dexter dad, a ghost dad. <laughs> Um, so what, uh, what were some of your absolute favorite jokes or scenes from the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Let's finish out this one. just talking about, I mentioned in passing earlier, um, but I really, I think the best scene of the movie, and I feel like most people would agree is when they go and meet red and how that escalates into that fight and just yeah. how ridiculous one, like how ridiculous red is in every line yes. he says and this tension that builds throughout that scene of i mean and it, the improv works perfectly there because you know we through dale kind of know that this guy's probably bullshitting and danny mcbride himself is just bullshitting and it makes it everything makes aerodynamic set, when I fight. yeah it makes everything he <laughs> says just like you you turn your head like wait how genuine is this guy being right now yeah I don't know if my cat like, was an asshole. Or... <laughs> and like the the fight itself is like it 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 looks like a fight that a bunch of eight year olds are doing that just keeps escalating, mm-hmm. where they're legitimately hurting each other, but they still they're fighting like a bunch of eight year olds. I, I I read that um when he hits them with the bong that genuinely did like kind of crack their head open crack a little his bit. Head open, yeah. yeah, but and and then and then when they tie him up and it's like the weirdest type of tying someone up with duct tape I've ever seen, but yeah, he's like, what's up, dudes? What's up? Tell us everything now. Talk, Red. I'm gonna flex and bust out of here. Trapped. It's not happening, Red. Okay, all right, okay, I'll talk. Uh... Yeah, this might be my favorite Danny McBride role ever. I guess I guess it would probably I, I don't know he has so many standout moments and some of the other stuff he does but like this one is just solid all the way through. I mean Rico's a close a close one from mm-hmm. Hot Rod. But he gets a lot more time to shine in this one. 
and just red is just the strangest character on the planet but they're uh yeah just like how kind of grounded that fight is and then capped later in the epilogue with how like kind of grounded it is for them to be sitting around talking about these like kind of larger than life moments they've been having over the past days yeah in in just this like animated manner like you would with your friends like oh you guys got in a car chase what oh wow but like we've talked about all the people that you know like we're already you know like or maybe not as well known but you know like they're respected comedic powerhouses you got your you know like your danny mcbrides and your craig robinsons and and seth rogan and all but like i want to talk a little bit i mean just the fact that other than like freaks and geeks and and he was still just uh he didn't have a whole lot of standout comedic moments in that show james franco was pretty much a drama actor yeah known for dramas up until this and he had some of the funniest moments in this movie Mm -hmm. performance alone just like i wrote down this one line that i mean like the battery's dead thing is hysterical but i also like i guess it was one of the moments where you really just gotta at the start whenever you kind of got a feel for the character where he's just like uh when seth rogan said there he's like don't get that on yourself you got a great girl you got a great job where you don't do anything. You get to smoke weed all day. I wish I had that. And Seth Rogen is like, are you, are you kidding? You do. You have the easiest job on earth. You do smoke mm-hmm. weed all, all day. That's 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 true. <laughs> and he's like, it didn't even dawn on him. Yeah, that. yeah. That moment, the uh, the battery moment, and then like Seth Rogen trying to explain his job to uh, yeah, to Saul is also another one of those like, like a butler clueless moments he's like wait so you you're like a servant butler yeah that whole sequence is great but yeah like this this was the movie that really proved that he could do comedies if he wanted to Mm -hmm. and i mean most of the comedies he did after that were with seth rogan but still yeah yeah um and i probably should have thrown this into like the how has that age thing but i know the past few years like there was some allegations against James. Oh Franco. yeah, they did have. Yeah, I forgot all about. And, yeah, uh, I I don't know. Like, obviously, the, this stuff's kind of you know, they said they said kind of thing. But uh, yeah, he had. Yeah, but the, look look into that, like, listeners, if you don't know. But um, yeah, apparently it's something to do with him running a school, kind of for acting, and him having a class there where it's like specifically for sex scenes and. Yeah. It was a little weird. A little, little weird. A little, little bizarre. Obviously, yeah, I'm not trying to take away from his comedy in, in this film, and I don't know. I, no, I, yeah. I wasn't there. But worth noting. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait. I got to bring up this line. Always, I, I always I always loved that when he told them, the, the family, to run to a hotel, he immediately told them to use the name Garage Lee. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, uh... I want to talk about what made this movie elevated even more so after the epilogue is Huey Lewis and the news yes. did like, you know, what what they did best in the 80s and they made a, a title track for this movie. Yeah, which is amazing. Which in the theaters, like I was the only one of my friends that recognized that. I was like, wait a minute. Is that that's they Huey Lewis performed a whole new song for the film Pineapple Express? Why are more filmmakers not getting Huey Lewis or even like Kenny Loggins to do the themes? I never song, hear people mention movies that movies. when they talk about this movie, but it blew me away. It's so ridiculous and amazing to me. Uh, yeah, let's bring back the uh, the the title track. I want to know how many millions it would cost to get Will Smith to do another like kind of rap song for a big movie. I guess you would have to have him lead, like be the lead Even star then, of the movie. I wonder how much extra he would want to be, to do that again. Yeah, I don't think it'd be cheap, but it'd be, no, I don't think so. Either. It'd be great. But uh, I think that that's all we got for this week of uh, gag reel. Uh, tune in two weeks from now. Well, we will we. We will be blah, blah, blah. we will be talking about the 1997 comedy Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. They go back to high school. They, they yeah, that that's the idea. Uh, kind of a road I've trip never seen comedy. It. 
I saw it a few years ago um, and was actually kind of blown away because this was one of those that I always saw the trailer of, like on a VHS tape, and it didn't really sell me on it. Has some pretty damn funny sequences in it. Okay. So I'm excited to talk about that. And we have more upcoming. Uh, we might do some more kind of Apatow-related stuff uh, in the near future. We talked about doing a Freaks and Geeks kind of deal. Um, we've talked about doing Superbad. But lot, lots in the works. Um, keep keep uh, updated on our Facebook page. Uh, that would be the, at the Gag Reel pod, right? Um Gag Real Pod. Gag Real Pod. That's pretty much it for everything. We have a Gmail. Uh, Gmail. Gag Real Pod. Yeah. Gag Real Pod at gmail.com. Twitter. Look up Gag Real Pod. Or go to gagrealpod.com. Leave a review on uh, on your podcast service if you wish. Uh, reach out to us and have a good couple weeks. We out. Have a good one. It's been a doozy. Gaga doodly. Totally do. Trouble. And how did